I want to thank you for being here this morning. Um, I, I have to admit, so they, they, they wired me up with a new mic, and I, I kind of feel like, I remember as uh, my, my dog, when my dog was a puppy, putting a, a, um, a halter on him, and he's just like, So I'm going to try, and, but the audio is really good, and so Trevor's in the back, and um, we have the best tech people ever, and uh, just really appreciate them. Yeah, 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 and, and I know it's good. Um, last week, we started a new series called History, playing on the word His Story. And, and history is, is just filled with uh, stories of God calling people calling people to be a part of His work. And, and I think we kind of skip that a lot of times, or we think that's for someone else. But God calls us to partner with Him, and that's, this is what we were born to do, to be a part of His story. If I live my life, if it's, if it's my story, I'm never going to be satisfied in life. Because there's a hole, every one of us, we have a hole in our hearts, and, and we have this yearning, and we try to fill it with, with something, because we know we're not complete, and maybe it's cars for some, maybe it's boats for another, maybe it's houses for another, but for others, it's, it's sex or money or power, whatever it is. There's so many trappings, and we all can pick our own poison. It, it really doesn't matter. We're never satisfied. Because we're wired to yearn to be a part of what God is doing in the world. We're incomplete otherwise. And, and the thing is, as we say yes to God's call, little by little, we realize it's not my story. It's His story. And we journey into this life as His story, and, and we realize it's about God. It's not about me. And this changes everything. Because I realize I am not the star of creation. When I live life as if it's my story, if I am the subject and everyone else around, they're just kind of bit characters in this, in this great story of me. They come in and they go off the stage when they interact with me, and if it's my family or my friends or my coworkers or whatever, everyone are just resources for my story. This is narcissism. And I think it's just the, it's the deepest struggle we have as humans. I'm more and more convinced. People either help my story or they hurt my story. And all of my relationships are transactional, and my decisions are based on this question, is this going to bring benefit to me? And I can twist any decision in my mind and tell me myself, well, it, it's okay, I can do that. This is how ethics work. When we're in the story of me, the ends always justify the means. But the reality is, no, 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 this is God's story. I am honored that He invites me to be a part of His story. And he calls us all to be a part of that story. And this is the key to experiencing life as we were designed to experience life. It's the only thing that's going to knock us out of the epicenter of the creation revolving around me. And the journey starts when we say yes to his call. 
Now, you find this throughout the Bible. Last week, we started with Genesis with Abraham and Sarah. And uh, we think, you know, of Genesis, we automatically think of Adam and Eve, right? And Noah and all those stories. The majority of Genesis is actually the story of a family. And it begins with this call on this old, senior, childless couple, Abraham and Sarah, and then their descendants. And so God told Abraham and Sarah, if they said yes to his call, they would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. We saw this last week, and those descendants are going to have land, and they're going to have a unique blessing from God pronounced upon them. They will be a blessing to others, meaning that God's going to work through them to, to, to help change the reality of people. And that's the greatest blessing we can ever experience, right, is that God will work through us to bring about His kingdom. We're kingdom agents. Through our lives, God's going to make it a little bit more on earth as it is in heaven, just like Jesus taught us to pray. So by the time you get to the end of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah's descendants, they've become as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's crazy how quickly the family grows into a nation. And people have been blessed by them, no question. If you, if you read the stories, they're blessed to be a blessing. God kept His promise, but one part of His promise to Abraham was left unfulfilled. They didn't have land. At the end of Genesis, Abraham's descendants, they're living in Egypt. Remember, foreigners in a foreign land. Egypt's not their home. And we open up Exodus. And this new Egyptian king has arisen, and he doesn't know about them being God's special people. But he does recognize the Israelites, the Hebrews, and he realizes they're outnumbered. There are so many of Abraham's descendants, he's afraid. And so what? Pharaoh enslaves them. God's people are slaves. And you remember the story, the, the people, they cry out in their oppression. God hears the cry of the people. And, and the way that he chooses to work to help them is to call a man, Moses. I want you to hear the story of Moses' call from Exodus 3. Moses was tending flock, the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And, and Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And Moses thought, I will go over and I will see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, all the otherites. 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites to Egypt? God said, I will be with you. This will be a sign to you that I, it is I who have sent you. When I have brought you the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And it goes on and on and on. People have been crying out to God for 80 years. It's important for us to realize 80 years they've been crying out to God. I think in August 2021 right now midst of all that we're experiencing, and every day there's more. We need to be praying for Haiti. We need to be praying for, man, did you see this morning in, in I think Sicily's temperature was 120, and like half of Italy is burned? We're not the only ones with forest fires right now. Taliban, there's so much. For 80 years, as they were pleading to God to deliver them, God was at work. Here's the point. God was at work at ways they didn't see. And He was doing something so dramatic, so profound, that we remember it all of these centuries later. Those 80 years were a part of His story. God was watching, leading the situation all along. And I think in August 2021, we need to remember God's purposes are worked out on an entire calendar that is not of our choosing. But they are worked out. And His calendar has a much greater vision than ours. Because God works by call. God gives us a choice. We choose to join His story. Or we just wander around, continuing to live a life where we think that it's all about me. This is the struggle of the human condition, right? Maybe God had already called someone before He called Moses, and they said no. God called 60 people before He got to Moses. I don't know, but what I do know from this story is that God has compassion when we cry to God. There's so much in this story that we have to skip, but I, I do, we, we have to spend some time on something that I just think is fascinating, and that's we learn the name of God in this story. And, and you're thinking, well, God's name is God, right? And, and, no, God is a generic term. And I want you to think about the difference between uppercase G God and just lowercase G God. In the Bible, when you're reading your Bible and you see God, G-O-D, God, in Hebrew, that's the word Elohim. And that's the same thing in our English language as just God with a lowercase g. So God, lowercase g, Elohim, appears to Moses, and Moses says, okay, God, 
Elohim. You, you, you want me to go to the people and deliver me them, and who, who shall I say, which of the Elohims are you, is the point. Which one of these gods are you? And God, uh, there's a long dialogue. God says, well, well, first tell them, I am the God of your fathers, Elohim. I am the God of your Abraham and Isaac and all of them, Jacob, everything. These are lowercase g's. I am the God that made the covenant with you. I am the God that has been with you all this time. I'm watching over you. I am the only God. I'm the only Elohim. But then he goes further and he tells Moses his name. And he gave four letters in Hebrew. Y-H-W-H. All consonants. There's no vowels, which is part of the problem. We think it's pronounced Yahweh, but honestly, we don't know because they stopped pronouncing it about 300 years, 400 years before Christ, because they didn't want to desecrate the holiness of God's name. So rather than saying the word Yahweh, they, they just started saying Hashem, which means the name so the point is, when you're reading your Bible and you come across the word L-O-R-D in all capitals, almost all of your translations will do this. In Hebrew, that's Yahweh. Whenever you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it, the translation behind that is the name of God. Like in Exodus chapter 3, when the Bible reads, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, our God, it says Yahweh our Elohim, which means I am God, or the God I am. And I want us to grapple with this because it's way more important than we realize. Because in Hebrew, Yahweh is basically our verb to be, or I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or better yet, I am life itself, Moses. Our God, our Elohim, is life itself, is the point. He is saying here to Moses, I am what it means to be Moses. I am being itself. I am personality itself. I am, and everything else emanates from me. This is what God describes himself to be. And I want you to think about this because Yahweh invites us to share in being itself when He invites us into His work. Saying yes to our call, this is how we experience life. It's saying yes to life. It becomes our reason for being. You want to know who I am, Moses? There is no word, there is no name that will adequately describe who I am. I am life, I am hope, I am creation, I, I am everything, everything that exists that has sprung forth from me, Moses. I am the source of all life. I am who I am and I am inviting you to be part of my story. I want you to join me in bringing life to others. There's so much in this story, and, and you, you skip so much in Exodus just to get the third chapter to the burning bush. But at this point, so Moses is 80 years old. 
80 years old. He was born a Hebrew slave, you remember? A uh, great story, you know, going in the ark. And uh, I can't even go into that because that'll be five hours right there. But so he was, he was raised in Pharaoh's house as, as one of Pharaoh's kin. And then it all changed when he saw one of the Hebrew slaves being, you know, whipped by a, a taskmaster. And he killed the taskmaster. And he went off. And he's, just, he, he's a fugitive hiding out. He's been hiding in the wilderness for 40 years by the point he comes to this burning bush. And there again, there's so much we have to skip. But I think this is so important because he spent his first 40 years in the king's court. Then he flees and he spends 40 more years living in a tent as a goat herder in Midian. 40 years. And can you imagine how many times in that 40-year span he, he thought, how did I get here? Thinking back when he had life in the lap of luxury, and now he's hiding out in Midian. But Midian was where he was safe, right? I mean, you know, he's okay in Midian because Midian, Midian is what he, he, he grows to know. It's where he's comfortable And we know how our comfort zone works. But we also know, you know, God never calls us to go deeper into our comfort zone, ever. I mean, no story was ever told about someone who stayed in their comfort zone, right? All adventures have something in common, and that's leaving your comfort zone. But I bet there wasn't a day that didn't... Moses didn't think back and remember his, his real parents, his brothers and sisters, and knew they were slaves in Egypt. And he was tending goats in Midian. And then God comes to Moses in this burning bush, and, and I think that bush it started burning a long time before Moses ever came upon it. But he spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And he tells him, take off your sandals, holy ground. He gives him his call. I've heard the cries of my pe people. I'm sending you. I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. It's time to leave your Midian, Moses. You knew it all along. And I love this long dialogue. Moses responds, Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, don't you have anybody else? I mean, I, someone more powerful, somebody younger. I mean, I bet you could find someone that can't wait to leave Midian. I, I'm really comfortable here. I've grown to like this place. Surely there's somebody who's better equipped to do this. I just can't commit. You know, I've been watching, I've been watching Yellowstone, and I just, you know, I've been binge watching it a second time, and I can't wait for that season finale because I got to figure out what happened to Kevin Costner. <laughs> I'm not feeling it. Just not feeling it, God. I thought I was supposed to follow my passion. Well, I just don't have a passion for this, man. Come on. You know, that's what discerning calls right, God. You know, you're calling the wrong guy. God responds, Moses, it's not you that's going to do this. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to be with you. Moses comes back. What, what, what if I go and the people say, well, who, got, who sent you? I mean, I don't even know. What would what, what I tell them? Moses isn't concerned about Pharaoh. He's first concerned is these people aren't going to listen to him. And God says, that's not a problem. Just tell them, Yahweh, I am. 
the one who gives life, the source of all being is sending you, the God of all gods, the God of life, and you are now part of that story, and I'm inviting them to join in as well. You tell them that, and they'll listen. Yes, Lord, but what if they say, I really haven't seen you, and I'm just making this stuff up. It's fake news. It goes on and on and on. Moses tries to find any reason to stay in Midian. And I love finally you get to chapter 4, Moses finally says, what if they don't believe me and they won't listen to me? And God says, then I'll give you the power to do miraculous signs, and, and we know all that. And it just goes on and on. It's three strikes for Moses. And, and eventually, and he goes on his stuttering and everything, but in 4.13 he says, just Lord, please send someone else. In, in one version it says, send anybody but me. And we get that. Some point of our lives, we've all been there. God calls us to do something. And we did the, I, I did this. I mean, I had a call from God to be a pastor my whole life, and I can't, I, I didn't want to do that. I had, my Midian was awesome planned out. I mean, I had my life all planned out, and now they got me wired up with this thing all over my ears. God always calls us out of our Midian. When it's called from God, you're probably not going to want to do it. You're going to want something a little bit easier, a little bit safer, something a little bit more security, or yes, yeah, security and, and less risk. And I think at first, usually it's something you just don't want to do. But deep down, you know you have to. I mean, like I said, that was me and my call to ministry. Midian was a lot easier and safer. But when we say yes, even though it might be this big, scary, hairy, audacious thing, it's going to bring you life that you could have never imagined. Because you're saying yes to be a part of his story. Moses said yes. He was afraid. He didn't want to leave his comfort. He knew he was risking everything to go back to Pharaoh. But as he looked back on his life, it was, I think it would have been that one event and his willingness to follow that was probably the most meaningful, profound moment of his life, that burning bush. And the same comes true for us. You know, I hear, when you hear God nudging you, you know, and you say, yes, there's going to be part of you that's just going to dread it. And you're going to say, I don't, want, I don't have time. I, I, I got all these reasons to stay in Midian. But if you follow when you're finished, you're going to say, this changed everything. This is what I was born for. Everyone who has heard a call and responds, they have two things in common. First, it completely calls them out of their comfort zone. And it was one of the greatest events of their lives. When you join his story, everything changes. You, you, you stop seeing things the way the world sees them, first of all. And you start to see from Christ's perspective. It's a very, very different vision Remember, Christ is the one who gave his life for others. 
gave us a new model of love. I want to invite uh, my friend Justin to come up and, and talk about the youth trip that we just had, and I got a real, real special blessing for you on that. So this past week, uh, as many of you know, we had the opportunity to go down to Salem, Oregon, uh, Friday through really Tuesday, and come alongside of the unsheltered there uh, with a church community called Church at the Park. And this is a very unique church community. It grew out of another church community because some of the pastors there were tugged like Moses. Their heart was breaking for a community in Salem that was basically being treated as less than and ignored and pushed down and politicized. And they asked the question, what would it look like if we were willing to be uncomfortable and come alongside? And they did. And we got to go and be a part of their journey. And uh, it was... It was heartbreaking in a good way. Uh, in many ways, I've, I've told a lot of people what our youth experience in Honduras, it's hard to describe. I saw a lot of that in this trip. I know that, that our youth and our leaders that went on the trip will never be the same. Because I think for, for many of us, we were able to see people instead of politics um, in a lot of ways for the first time. And when you start to see people through the lens of Jesus, instead of through the lens of whatever else, everything changes. In Church at the Park, they, they basically, they do three things. Number one, they let the unsheltered community know, we see you. We are with you. We are created in God's image. You are created in God's image. We're not above you. We are not below you. We are with you. And if we're honest, that's hard for us. Because every time we see someone on the streets or in a park or something else, we have all these messages that run through our heads and it separates us. The people at church at the park want to eliminate that separateness and say, hey, you are not forgotten. We are with you. The second thing that they do is they help them to dream again. Imagine being told day in and day out, you're less than, you're not important, or no one looks at you. 
Uh, you're just seen as a nuisance. Pretty soon you start to believe that. And then you stop dreaming. And you live into the less than narrative. They help them to dream again. And part of dreaming is putting a plan together to help them get there. And so the third thing that they do is they help with next steps. No matter what that is, okay, we see you. You are created in God's image and God has a call. What is that call? What is that dream? And what is your next step? No matter how small or how big, whatever that next step is, Church at the Park is committed to helping them take that next step toward that dream, whether it's transportation, it's a meal, it's a doctor's visit, it's just sitting down and listening, whatever it is. And it's amazing the transformation that occurs when we see people through God's eyes and hope enters back into the picture. That's what Church of the Park is all about, and that's what we got to experience this weekend. Uh, But I didn't want you just to hear from me on this. We wanted you to hear from some of the leaders and the students that went on this journey. My expectations going into this trip were that homelessness was a motivational problem or a easy fix with the right attitude and the right mindset, but it's so much deeper than that. Is it mental health? Is it legal issues? Is it money issues? Um, catastrophic, Catastrophic events? Motivation was probably the least of the issues that really were a fix. It's not a quick fix. It's not a motivational issue. It's so much deeper than that. I agreed to go to the Portland trip with the youth group, hoping to get a new perspective on the issue of homelessness and being unsheltered. I've been in law enforcement for 22 years, and I only see one side of the issue, the black and white legal side of it. And I was hoping to gain a new perspective on that by getting to meet these people, getting to know them and hear their stories. And in fact, I did get to meet them and hear their stories. And it does make a difference when you do that. I'm not really sure what I expected going into this trip, but I definitely did not expect the sheer size of the unsheltered population in Salem. Like, you just go walking down the sidewalks in the central part of town, and there are just people camping out in tents right on the sidewalk. And like, you go to some of the parks too, and there are just massive cities of tents and RVs and little huts and shelters. Like, it's crazy how big of a problem it is compared to here in the Tri-Cities, where you rarely see any unsheltered people. I feel like I saw God and um, an unsheltered man named Stacy. He's just really upbeat and he was very inspiring. He's always happy. Yeah, I feel like I learned a lot from him and his life story as well based off of his past experiences. And I feel like he could be an example for all of us to show how like we could live and be happy with what we have. 
because uh, even for a man in his situation, he was always nice to people and he was always happy and hilarious. Yeah. On Sunday when we went to their sermon, and afterwards we were going to have lunch and talk with some of the unsheltered people, and I was nervous to actually go over and talk to anyone. And Ben came up to me and told me to go talk to this one guy who was just on his phone sitting alone. He was facing away from us at first, but then once we started actually having a good conversation with him, that he was fully engaged, he was just all in it. And he really impacted my life the most, I think, on this trip. And then the next day when we were help cleaning, I was the most excited to go see him, I think. And people always are like, God impacts others to help you like move forward, but he really, I think this person, Stacy, really impacted me because his life is, he's had a hard life, he's made not so great choices, but yet he still tells us kids to always stay in school and make smart decisions, and I find that very fascinating that he knows that he was in basketball, but he doesn't want us to be there either. Ooh, how has this trip changed me? One, I have an incredible amount of respect for the kids in this program. These kids held it together. Um, they went down, they were respectful, they were mature, um, they made a difference. And just know that uh, your kids went out of their way and really were impressive. And uh, that in itself changed me. This trip has definitely changed how I look at unsheltered people as a whole and that, you know, just leaving a donation, not seeing their faces, not listening to their stories doesn't have as big of an impact as getting to sit down with them and talk to them and share a meal with them. And it doesn't bring that joy to them and give them back some of their humanity because sitting down with them, we could tell that it made them feel like an actual person again. After hearing some of their uh, stories, I feel like I have a little bit more of an understanding for their situation and for the unsheltered community and um, yeah. yeah. For me it was definitely life changing because now that I actually understand the hardships and all of the obstacles that they face, uh, I'm definitely uh, in the future going to do my best to seek out the resources that they need and to donate or to help in with those resources. So that way I can help the unsheltered community in any way that I can. So this was just a teaser. We have our, our newsletter this week uh, is the, the long version uh, with uh, more of our leaders and, and our students uh, uh, chiming in with their insights and whatnot. So look for the newsletter this week uh, to, to hear more about the impact that this trip had. Uh, and with that, Proud of our, our youth, our um, the adults that were part of that trip, uh, just amazing ambassadors for us. But I'm also hoping that they nudge you to listen to God's voice, calling you out of your Midian, out of your comfort zone, and into God's kingdom deeper. 
Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you for the call that you place upon our lives. I thank you for hope. I thank you for our youth and our, our youth workers so much. Um, help us to realize it's not about us, but that you do invite us to be a part of your story. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.